Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This episode is a bonus one. It's a recording of the interview that I did recently with the brilliant Elizabeth Uwe author of Slay in Your Lane, The Reset and the forthcoming book, The Offline Diaries. It was for Papier's book club. I love Papier. It's my favourite stationery brand. Every time I have a book out, I buy their personalised note cards with my initials at the top and I feel very, very fancy. So I'm really thrilled to get to share this conversation that we had on a live stream for their book club. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. We mainly discuss my new book, Disconnected, and I loved Elizabeth's questions. So here is the episode and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone to this lovely book club. Um, it's a Papier book club and my name is Elizabeth, so I'm your host tonight. Um, I'm very, very excited to host this um, because um, I love the brand um, and what it stands for, all about connection, but I also I'm a big, big, big fan of Emma Gannon, a Sunday Times bestselling author, speaker, novelist, and host of the number one careers podcast in the UK, Control Alt Delete. She also writes the popular weekly newsletter called The Hyphen. That is an exploration of ideas that gets her thinking in new ways. I'm really excited today to talk to Emma about Disconnected, which explores the challenges of living online and offers an invaluable guide to achieving balance and rediscovering our true selves and thriving online. Um, Emma is one of those people that every time I see a tweet or something she writes or um, or anything really, I'm always like, ah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, it's as if we have the same brain, but um, she's always so much one step ahead and she's so prolific. Welcome, Emma. Hi. Hello, Elizabeth. And I feel the same about you, by the way. Everything you say, I'm just like screenshot, retweet. I love it. Oh, no, I appreciate that. Um, I want to kind of start with like your inspiration behind uh, writing Disconnected and where that came from. Yes. So this book really was born out of me realizing that it had been five years since I wrote Control Alt Delete. First of all, I thought it's quite an interesting time to kind of look back on that book and see if my opinions had changed, whether I've changed, which obviously I have, the world has changed. It feels like such a different world to 2016. And I was just feeling really disconnected, to be honest. And all through my twenties, I felt like I was slowly becoming almost disconnected from the very internet that I loved. Like I loved blogging. I loved meeting friends online. I even loved Twitter back then. Um, It was such a happy, positive, uplifting place. So I thought, and so much research was saying that, that like education was changing, that um, Facebook was bringing people back together again. Like there was a real heyday of the internet and us loving it. And I just felt like that was really unraveling for me. And I felt like I was hating my phone. I didn't like the person I'd become. And, and I just wanted to really look at it and, and sort of, yeah, put my flag in the sand and be like, where are we now and what can we do? It's so interesting because I guess I first heard of you um, when you first when you wrote your first book. I guess you were the first person to make me think that, wow, like this whole world of the Internet and growing up, the in- growing up with the Internet as millennials is does have like, I guess, a real like impact on us. Um, and like you said, you, you, you've written Disconnected to almost, like you said, like put your views out there again, like an updated version, almost like a little guide and prompt around like how you're feeling now. What I really found interesting when I was reading it was when you said that in the introduction that you don't advocate for a, you know, a full digital like detox and just totally 
uh, I guess, switch off from the internet and, and, and social media and things like that. Um, why is that? Mm. Well, I saw a study in 2019 that said that digital detoxes don't actually work. They make us more anxious and they make us just more stressed out. It's like we're told to do everything on our phones and we're primed and we are we are addicted to our phones because of the algorithms and because of the technology. And then suddenly we're meant to go into the woods for a month without our phone and just like sit there like med- meditating. And I just found that really annoying, that conflicting messaging of like, you should be digital detoxing now. It's like, well, I've tried that and I find that really difficult. I find that I can't just switch off. And I just wanted to write about that and be really honest about that. Mm. I can't be without my phone for longer than maybe a day. I mean, even that is really difficult. Mm. I don't know if you've like lost your phone and been like, oh my God, this is just hell. So everything's on there. So I wanted to write about that. And also the fact that this isn't about ditching your phone. It's more about looking at what doesn't serve you and kind of changing your behaviors and taking back control because for me it was like I don't like the way that I'm so passive with my phone that's really what I wanted to look at is the scrolling the looking at the news just kind of um, out of habit and really flip that and be like what am I using it for and every single time I pick up my phone now genuinely this book has like had an impact on me I'm like what am I doing what's what am I actually doing on on the phone and then I just always feel like a little bit better about myself I guess because people were saying well you've just written this book about disconnecting and you're like all over Instagram promoting it which I'm like yes that's the point that's intentional that's my job that's my career and I really want people to read this book and that self-promotion which I'm not embarrassed about but I can understand if people see the odds of that but so so yeah it's not about switching off it's not about putting a laptop in a drawer forever it's it's kind of the opposite I think that's just like the reality and I totally agree with what you're saying because there is that two things can be true at once you can advocate a renegotiation of how we use you know our phones the internet social media but also say on the other on the other breath be intentional in how you use it and one thing I would definitely say about you um and you know your brand and how you are on um all all the different apps and and various things is you're quite intentional around that Mm -hmm. um and I how do you reconcile being so active um since that's the question everybody wants to know um you know, posting on Instagram and 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 self promotion and 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 how do you reconcile that with your, I guess, your personal and professional life? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, and I really wanted to touch on the personal brand in disconnected and how even my opinions towards that have changed. Like twenty six year old me thought that the personal brand was, I mean, we were like in the girl boss era of like put your best foot forward and be you know your best self and like go and smash your goals. And I think just literally unpicking that that's not me either has really helped with my use because I don't want people to just look at like the shiny side of me. Like going into my 30s was really me being like, what have I built on the internet? Okay, I've built a brand, I have, that's fine. And it is my career and I'm really proud of that. But I don't feel like people are seeing the real me. And that's where the loneliness comes from. And I talk about that in the book, that 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 disconnect between no one was really seeing me. And, And I think... It, this is this book isn't to be honest about me it's I think it's about culturally I think people can relate to that yeah. the fact that people were falling out with their friends during the pandemic because they didn't like the social media aspect of some of their best friends because when we don't see each other in person and you can't hear my voice or you can't see them having a bad day 
it's really easy to resent people and be like, oh, look at you, you know, on online. And so I wanted to um, change that, basically. And I think the pandemic has made us more honest with each other. And for me now, I want to use the internet in more of a like intentional, but also quite a snuggly sort of way that celebrates community over just broadcasting what I'm up to. Like my newsletter, for example, is a really amazing place. And I really... I, th- I think people should think about what platforms that they are using and, and you don't have to be on everything. Yeah, I totally agree. I think every platform has its own. And, and if you use it for work as well, like it has its own use and value and it's up to you to kind of nego- renegotiate that like every few months or, mm-hmm. or whenever, because it can get very much easily overwhelming. Um, what part do you think we play, each of us play in feeling that feeling of um, being disconnected? You, you, you touch upon um, loneliness in the book and obviously there's like horrific stats around millennials being, you know, the loneliest generation and we're the most connected generation. So there's a real conflict and tension there. Um, what part do you think, you know, you, I, all of us kind of play in that? Yeah, I mean, there's a statistic actually that I've got written here that always shocks me that, and this is a 2019 poll by YouGov, but it said nearly a quarter of millennials could not name a single friend. And mm-hmm. I think it's crazy, this um, brand of friendship that is always advertised to us as well, like the Taylor Swift, like girls squad of, you know, or someone on their Hindu with like 30 people. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, is, am I supposed to have that? Because I don't have that. You know, I, I could count on two hands, probably the people that really are like close to me. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to look at that and be like, God, we are drifting away from each other. We are taking away some of the human aspect to the way we're communicating. And I think to your question of what we what we're doing without meaning to is I think we're leaning into convenience more than ever. And I don't blame people for that. I certainly do that. I have a local bookshop literally down my road. Do I go there to buy books every time I want a new book? No. But am I trying to do that more intentionally? Yes, I am. And I think it's what are we doing to be convenient and what is actually a little bit harder, but serves us in the long run? Like having a phone call with someone, literally like a 10 minute phone call with someone can can change my entire day. And I also find it kind of, kind of fascinating that we are going back to basics in such a way at the moment like the amount of bots on twitter that are like have you drank water today have you moisturized today and and like i i shouldn't really take the mick out of that because there are a lot of people out there now being like i actually can't take care of myself in the way i used to because my mental health is so bad and so i think this is a really serious point that um yes we're spending a lot of time on our phones but we don't have to be overwhelmed by the big changes we have to make. It's just small changes, very small changes. No, you're absolutely right. And what you said around convenience is just so on the money because I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I was saying that like, um, yes, you've got your like really close friends, um, but there's this weird like world now, especially on like Instagram, where you just keep up your friendships with um uh, like reactions, like a fire emoji or, you know, or, or like a smiley emoji. And it's just honestly annoying. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I was saying I was almost falling out with a friend because she was like, she doesn't call me. We don't, we don't connect offline. Like we don't connect. And it, it's like, I miss those interactions. And I think she thinks that our friendship is okay because it's just a lot of interactions online, but it isn't. So convenience is not going to do us well for the long run but um yeah but yeah I, I just was going to say I, I'm very much agree with you on that um 
I wanted to talk about uh, the power of the unfollow because you talk about that in your book. Um, so my first question is, when was the last time you unfollowed someone and why? You don't have to give us the at. We don't need to know who it was, but when was the last time and why? <laughs> oh my God, that's such a good question. Um, that is, gosh, that is a really good question. Do you know what? I think it was someone who <laughs> goes to the gym a lot and I will probably refollow them. It's not someone I know, by the way. It's someone kind of semi-famous, so they won't notice. Who, who cares if I unfollow them? But um, <laughs> I'm not really exercising at the moment because it's literally February in England and I just don't even want to think about it. And I, I definitely am a firm believer that we don't have to have the same routines all through every season. Like, I'm a different person in the summer than I am in the winter. That's okay. We, we, we like trees. We like shed our leaves and we need to just like hunker down for a bit. So I think that was just like, do you know what? That's nothing to do with that person. It's a hundred percent to do with me. I don't want to see someone exercising <laughs> right now. Um, and I think that's why I wanted to talk about that in the book that actually it's never really about, the, it's never about you. If someone unfollows you, it's, I mean, it might be, you might be saying some really, really inappropriate things, but most of the time it really is just a reflection of like that person can't really deal with that right now. And you have to have a bit of empathy for that as well. I'm always getting in trouble because I'm always on the verge of unfollowing people that I actually know. So, <laughs> so it is, you have to keep like not taking personal, but also it's, it's a reflection on me. And I think what I like about what you were saying in a book is you have to kind of crit critically ask yourself like, why? Like you can't just because it's you most of the time projecting on the other person as well. So it's kind of like, why do I feel like this? Because it's that the person is probably a symptom and your real feelings are probably there and you don't know why. Um, so yeah, I, um, I very much agree. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, you, you talk about the art of being yourself. Um, I think as women, um, it, it is quite hard to be yourself online and depending on what version of yourself that you decide to curate, put out there or whatever. That's probably changed for you, like you said, from your first book to like obviously fully fledged author of how many books and how has that journey been? So the art of being yourself, the art of being Emma Gannon, how has that changed from your first book to now? It's a good question because I definitely felt lost in terms of my tastes and my opinions and my ideas and like who I was because I realized that the algorithms were leading me astray <laughs> I found that I was buying clothes I didn't even really like because someone said they were cool or I was listening to a Spotify playlist that someone said was cool but I didn't like it you know you just realize that actually the internet is trying to sort of worm its way into your yourself like your actual identity and I just felt like I needed to kind of remember who I was and I do think the pandemic did that quite a lot I interviewed a psychologist actually about it and she said that in the pandemic we became very nostalgic for the past because we were really craving you know that those, those memories because when you can't move forward you look backwards a lot of the time mm. and so I was like what did I like as a child what music did I like and then I remember going into this like rabbit hole of like remembering all these bands I used to like and I was like that's a whole other side of me I was like opening a door to like my old self and then I booked to go to all these gigs and it was just really nice because like I felt like I was truly enjoying what I like again and I write a lot about creativity and that is creativity remembering what you like and who you are so that was one thing. And the other thing was I read Martha Beck's The Way of Integrity last year. And that was huge. That's basically about how, especially as women, we're so many different people. And there's like a little test in the book where she asks you if you're different with everyone in your life, like wildly different. Like if you went to like someone's birthday party 
you would be totally different as as you are with your mum or and like we are slightly different with each people of course but if you're wildly different with your colleagues than you are with your partner than you are with your friends you're not really going to be happy because you're not being you and you're not kind of standing in front of everyone saying this is me and so that I did some work on that and I feel like I am more integrated now thank god no, I love that. And I think that's the thing. It's a journey as well. I think it can be quite hard to feel you have to kind of get this whole, like get this whole thing figured out on day one of the first time you, you know, you log onto any sort of app or whatever, but you constantly have to kind of like renegotiate that with yourself. Um, I think that's what I really liked about reading the book. It, there was a lot of prompts that made me think differently about um, my kind of attitude to like social media and being online and, and all of these things. So I think it's a, it's a book that you will um, have um, people that are listening that when you, when you buy it, you may read it, you know, on year one and then in, in the year's time you list, you read it again and it'll give you a different perspective because it just constantly prompts you to think quite differently. That's really nice that you say that by the way, because I do think it's literally like, a spring clean like I need to unfollow and or, or not even unfollow just look at my setup like every few months and be like does this need to change you know do am I looking at the news too much am I shopping from Instagram too much I don't know it's not a guilt trip thing it's just more like what am I falling into and bringing yourself back again we're in a business of creativity right there's a quote that you put in a book about was it the French philosopher most of humanity's problem stems from man's inability to sit in a room quietly. Like, do you know how true that is? <laughs> like, absolutely bang on. Yeah, it, it does stem from that. And it's annoying because, you know, one of the prompts in the book is like, go for a walk without listening to a podcast. And that, for me, was the one thing I knew I needed to do for a long time because I really struggled with my second novel. I'm still writing it now. It's taken me two years, um, which is normal. But I, for me, I was like, oh, this is really, I'm finding this really tricky. Obviously, it's been like a crazy few years. But um, I was like, I know I need to go for a long walk without anything in my ears, but I'm scared. I'm literally scared to go for a walk. Um, not because of like safety reasons, even though that's a whole other kettle of fish. But um, like... I just, I know I shouldn't listen to music or listen to a podcast. I just need to be with myself. Why can't I do that? No, so, yeah. It's very hard. Like I always say my best purchases over lockdown was uh, my Amazon um, Alexa thingy dot thing that constantly just is in the background and my coffee machine because they just, you know, allow me to kind of be lost in those worlds. Um, what So what advice do you have for people to reconnect with themselves um, and some of the rules that you kind of live by? I mean, a massive thing for me was getting back into journaling. And I used to find that really annoying. I used to find it really annoying when people said that because I was like, I don't want to write in many of the notebooks I have that I never opened. Um, but I did get back into doing the artist way. I love Julia Cameron. I've interviewed her like three times now, but um, she's just, the reason people always come back to her, she um, tells people to do like two pages of longhand writing every single morning is because it's just so simple. And she calls it morning pages. And I just found that, waking up in the morning and just getting everything down, getting it all out of my system, just open the pathway for more creativity and feeling less anxious. Because once you have everything down on the page, like I'm anxious about this or I'm, I'm worried about my deadline or this person's really upset me, you then don't have to really think about it again for the rest of the day. And we forget how haunted we are by the same thoughts over and over and over again. And so getting them all out in the morning allowed me to 
just to have a clearer head during the day. So I, I would say that's a really good first step. Yeah, I love that. Um, and this is kind of a weird question. But I was having a conversation with someone about um, journaling and and how powerful it is. And I was saying that there is a um, acceptable vulnerability sometimes that you're only, especially as women, you can't feel particular certain emotions. Let's say envy, whatever, or whatever these feelings that online kind of um, being online quite intensely can make us feel. Um, and how, yeah, I call it, you know, acceptable vulnerability and how journaling and writing your your feelings down is so powerful because you know it's not everything you can meditate away. It's not everything you can talk to people about um, because you're still unpacking it yourselves. How long have you been journaling? Probably for the last two years. I mean, when I was really struggling with my book, really, because I just I was really blocked and I didn't really know why. And then, like you just said, it's never what you think it is. You start journaling and you realize that the thing you thought you were obsessed with or annoyed by or whatever, like you just dig a little deeper and you're like, oh, my God, it's none of that. It's actually this really weird, simple thing. Um, So there is something about holding a pen that, that is just like more connected to your thoughts and your real self and that's why it it, for me what got me back into writing was just not sitting at my laptop it was not typing on a keyboard it was everything around that it was going for the walks talking to friends doing the journaling and um you know someone does call disconnected like simple in its prompts like I will find that actually a compliment because for me I needed to literally go back to the simple stuff that's how confused I was and kind of lost I was at the beginning it's not normal is it like it's generally not normal to be this stimulated by everything. Exactly. Like it really isn't. So going back to the basics is actually so empowering. And I think there's like 200 studies, two, over 200 studies that talk around the power of journaling and writing and getting it out. Like it actually does help in so many ways, creativity, mental health, and, and all of these things. Is the writing process different when you write fiction compared to nonfiction? And do you, how do you begin dumping it all down on a piece of paper or how do you kind of get into the throes of those two different worlds? They're so different for me. And I love writing novels. Obviously it's a new thing for me, mm. but it's a whole different thing. And, and actually I really love it because I think being a millennial, not to generalize myself or put myself in a box, but I do like validation and I do like quick things. And I do like the fact that I do a podcast every week and like immediately I get feedback and immediately people are listening. I, do, I like that. I like being connected. I like being out there. I think I would struggle if like just writing novels was my job because I would have to hide away for two years and then come out and promote it. Yeah, it's it's different because it's not only writing story, but it's also trying to actually make the writing good. And so they're like two different things. So I, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how it works for me, but also nonfiction I find easier, so much easier. I mean, I wrote disconnected really quickly because it's me, it's my speaking voice. It's me. You know, if I, if I transcribed one of the podcast episodes, it probably would sound similar. It's just easy, easier, but um, yeah, I'm kind of traumatized by the novel writing process, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are one of the most prolific like authors of our time, genuinely, and like I, I say that in such, um, I say that because I know how hard it is to get your thoughts, your feelings, and everything on a page. So it's actually amazing to have um, to look up to somebody who can do that very well. Um, I want to ask you a question about before we go to question before we open up to um, Q and A about the trolling, and I guess the more 
you know, dark side um, of being on the internet and, and being online, someone with a visible profile. Um, I think you said that you never really get into Twitter arguments and back and forth and things like that. Was that, was that a rule of thumb that you've always had or is that something that you've kind of was like, like now I'm not, I'm not doing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was not mature enough to not do it <laughs> for years. I was always like in there having my having a debate with people. But I, you know, I feel like I have a voice. I write books. Other people have their voice. Then I'll say whatever they want. I don't think on the Internet, but people are allowed to criticize and people mm-hmm. are allowed to not like my books and they're allowed to not like me. Everyone has that right. Like, I'm not going to kind of sit there and be like, no one must engage with me if they don't like love my stuff that I actually quite like it when people write me really thoughtful feedback or critiques Mm. or or calling me out I just feel like I'm old enough and wise enough I hope to find the good in that and be like I'm learning here but I don't I think going into like hate speech and trolling that's a whole other kettle of fish to be honest I just um think that's a huge problem that the platforms need to do more about it's really not fair to put it on the individual to kind of try and deal with that I think we need serious systems in place I think I write in the book about like do we need an internet police I know we've been talking mm. about that for like decades but it's like how do we get to the bottom of that so I write about that in the book but on a day-to-day level I'm lucky enough that I don't get loads of that but I know it never ends well to try and do it on a platform like Twitter, which is designed to make you annoyed. It's a, it's designed to make you stay on there. It's designed to really get you hot and bothered and kind of go into like fight or flight mode. Mm. Um, it, it's really cleverly designed to make us feel trapped like hamsters in a wheel. And I just refuse to be made to feel like that. Um, I had a bit of a like heated conversation with someone recently and then they came into my DMs and then we actually went on a Google Hangout talk about it mm. and it was and it was great I mean it wasn't like someone who was really hateful it was someone who I really disagreed with mm. and then we had an hour-long chat and by the end we we still disagreed but we kind of respected each other and I think that's what I really hope more of us can do yeah there's not there's, not, there's beauty in disagreeing and disagreeing in a very healthy manner um but I guess the problem with the internet a lot of the time is people just want to be contrarian for the sake of it and be and just totally just you know pull people down and just read into like be mis to misunderstand things just genuinely because they can um and not to read to understand but read to disagree and not really take it in so um but it's great to hear that you've you've had that process like I feel inspired I'm like maybe one day I will I won't block people and write and just you know (laughs) and see well it depends (laughs) but I think it's picking the platform isn't it because because you write your column for like the FT which is an amazing Mm -hmm. but also very kind of public space where lots of people outside of your network who get you probably read it but do you find that you can read those comments? Yeah, I don't know if you read them, but when I wrote my column for the Times, I, I would read the comments and just be like, I could not change your mind or have a good conversation with you in the comment section. It's never going to work. So I just didn't ever. Yeah, I, you're so right. I, I think there's definitely, um, I had a lot of apprehension when my um, the first book came out, Slaying Your Lane, and, but it was quite fine because I guess it was within our world. And when it did travel, it was actually all right. I think... Now, if it came out now, I think it would be different. I think work, depending on where you are in culture, um, what the temperature is, like you can't listen to the radio these days or read something like the Times without, you know, being work, being used in a particular way. So it really sometimes depends on 
when you, what time you post something, not time in, as in time of day, but in terms of like where we are in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I think so we're, towards, we're towards the end of like certain things. It's like the whole girl boss thing as we, we were discussing before. Like it, it, we're just, but it's weird. It's, it's, it's cyclical. Like it will come back again. Everyone will be like, oh, okay, it's okay to talk about race. It's okay to talk about women empowerment, but we go through those cycles. Um, I want to open up to questions from the audience. Um, I know you guys will have loads of different questions. Ooh, good question. Do you do anything with your morning pages? Because you're not meant to, are you? Mm, no, you're, uh, she, she says you're not meant to read them back. Um, a lot of people get really nervous that they even exist because it is a stream of consciousness. And sometimes it's it's like a diary when you're 12 and you're like, if my parents find this, I'm I, they're going to boot me out of the house. It's like it's so vulnerable that I, I do put them away in a secret place. And you're meant to kind of burn them if you want to or not burn them. But you're meant to kind of um, get rid of them every so often. And, and they're really not for saving or analyzing. They're just literally to get it out. And um, yeah, she says to kind of like write all over the margins and out of the lines. Just be imperfect. Mm. In a world that wants us to be so powerful. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have a I like this question from Ellie. Um, she's asked, is it hard to avoid comparing ourselves to other professionals? Um, how do you kind of protect yourself from you know comparison to other authors or podcasters on IG? Mm, that is a really good one. And it is real. And if <laughs> I wanted to, I could literally look at the iTunes homepage and be like, Ah, oh, I was once in the charts, <laughs> but, but um, no, it's it's difficult. But I always go back to something that Seth Godin says, who is this amazing author. If you haven't heard of him, obsessed with that man, he's so wise, and he his whole slogan is like, "I'm not here to win, I'm here to contribute," mm. and I, that's that sticks with me. Like, I'm not here to win. I, I don't want to be top. I don't want to be number one. I don't. I really don't. Um, that's a lot to maintain. And that's really mm-hmm. stressful. Like if I get a number one ton of times bestseller, which I've never had, even if I do have that, that means like, oh God, like now I've got to do that every time. I'm really happy just like doing my thing. And if I can pay my bills and I can connect with people and I can be proud of the work, that's sort of, that's okay. That's, that's really good. Yeah. I love that. But it takes a lot of growth to get there. And I think yes, that- and, and a lot of validation to be like, the fact that I have got to this point where I can be happy with that. And then, and yeah, and like, you know, I wouldn't be happy five years ago with what I'd done because I hadn't got there yet. So I'm, I'm really aware of that. And that thing about comparison being the thief of joy is just so freaking real. Um, and there'll be always someone who is like more, this has more money, has more accolades, has more books sold. So if you're, if you're always trying to maintain that number one spot, you are never going to be happy. So, and that's just the bottom line. Like even Beyonce, like genuinely can't do it all the time. Like, and she's like, obviously, you know, next to Yeah. Oh my God. No, it's true. It's true. Exactly. And I also doing my podcast has been really eye opening and amazing because I've interviewed like over 300 people. And what what the real privilege for me isn't even just like doing the podcast. It's the fact that I'm with that person when I used to do it in person in real life. Anyway, we would do the interview and then I'd get like a little bit of like chat afterwards. And there would always be something like someone was like going through a divorce or someone is upset because their publisher did this or someone yeah. is um, having just a bad day. And I think even the most successful people on paper have something going wrong. There's a question here by Dior. 
so her question is, has seeing someone achieve something on social media revealed a desire that you didn't know you had and connected connected you to a different part of yourself? That's a very good question. Mm, that's a really good question. I'd be interested to hear what you think about that as well, Elizabeth. I, I actually, one recently, and it came from morning pages, this realization was like, I was comparing myself to someone recently and I found myself just like really drawn to them and being like, oh, I'm just like comparing myself quite a lot. And I thought it was a career thing because it's someone in this similar industry. Mm. And what I realized was that she was just seeing like her friends <laughs> like a lot. And I was like, I want to see my friends um, more. You know, it was like really interesting. Like jealousy is such a useful emotion. We shouldn't push it aside. We should lean oh, into it. Um, like I was jealous of something. And so I unpicked it and I was like, oh, I miss my friends. We don't, End all, you know. This is it. And this is the, this is the reality. Like that's the acceptable vulnerability. Like we don't get to talk about the difference between envy and jealousy and and like, and there are different limits of it. And um, sometimes it is not healthy, but sometimes you need to, I guess confront these feelings and some and and I guess social media kind of draws this thing out of us that we can't always articulate it and that's why journaling is so powerful alongside Emma's um, amazing book Disconnected because it does make you think with those different prompts. Um, just on that question, has seen someone achieve? I think there's definitely been times where I've seen something maybe on social media, but I where it's made me think differently about my desires not differently in terms of like 360 but it's like it's shown me that oh wow this is possible or this is something that can be done because this person is doing it or, or has done it but it's never from a sense of like why should they like that is for me the worst emotion I think if any if you think that this person isn't deserving of something or whatever I think that says more about you and I think that's some work to be done I think it's if it's something to inspire you then yes but if it's something that makes you think pulls them down or think they're not worthy enough then I think that's that's the wrong emotion and I think that needs to be worked on for sure for sure accountability I think is the is the real theme of it all really is um if you're finding yourself being quite bitter um Mm, yeah it's not it's not it's not a fun it's not a fun emotion um but yeah you're right it's quite interesting when you see someone especially in your like generation or your cohort of individuals where you're like wow if they can do it that means I could that's quite inspiring exactly um but we need to talk about it a lot more and especially as women um because there's that scarcity mindset versus growth mindset um there's a quick question uh do you think it's possible to opt out social channels when you are in a media um editorial role um this person has a friend who's a beauty writer and is expected to do tiktoks and post about it on her work channels um because you when you, you started your career um mm. i guess writing quite a lot on um for publications and things like that so and was you i think you were a social media editor at one point yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you've had so many amazing <laughs> roles like genuinely like <laughs> had so many lives like yes i was gonna say live but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah like True. how do you kind of like navigate that well that's a really tricky one because I do think it's not fair actually that a lot of people expect people to be really online when their job technically doesn't really need that I mean if someone is a beauty editor and they want and they want them to do TikToks for like the brand channel or the magazine channel that's different but to make you do personal ones I mean really is that is that the new thing I mean I would say I would I would say that's like extra homework that your your boss is making you do and whether or not you want to sort of 
lean into that for your own personal brand because I do think that can be quite useful it's like it's never wasted it's an investment so if you're doing it you get to own that channel hopefully when you leave um that's a whole other conversation yeah it's a tricky one I would say that you can explain that you only have a certain amount of bandwidth you only have a certain amount of hours in the day is this a priority and if it is then what channel is the priority because you can't be like doing all of them that's like a job in itself Thank you so much for your time and everyone coming on this um, Papier book club. It's been amazing chatting to Emma. Um, I'm normally on the other end and, and Emma's normally on this end. So it's been nice to kind of switch it over um, and go and honestly buy Disconnected. It's just such a good read and you can read it really quickly and come back to it. And there's just different bits that just help you think differently. And I, um, and I think if, if there's anybody that, is able to kind of help us navigate this changing landscape of like online and all of these things. It's, it's Emma. So. Oh, thank you so, so much. I love talking to you all the time. And um, if anyone wants a companion, go and buy the reset by Elizabeth, because it's so good. And honestly, I feel like the conversation about the reset and like how we're changing up every aspect of our life during the, after the pandemic and beyond your book covered that that's the oh. book to get on that. So thank you. Appreciate it. But yeah, I hope everyone has a lovely evening um, over the, you know, the hump day of Wednesday. So um, yeah, have a good rest of the week. <laughs> thank you. I'll get through the week better now. <laughs> having had some therapy with you thank you so much <laughs> bye, bye.